0: Welcome to this episode of Say Why to Drugs. Before we get onto it, I'd just like to thank everyone who got in touch after the DMT episode. One very important thing, which I think I failed to make explicit during that podcast, is that consuming a drug in a different way will lead to it having quite a different profile. Now, as lots of you have pointed out, DMT is often smoked, as well as being taken orally as a tea. And of course, when you smoke a substance, it takes effect far more quickly than when you swallow it. So for a bit more of a discussion around this, I'd recommend listening to the cocaine episode of Say Why to Drugs. In that, Scrobius Pip and I have a more in-depth discussion about how the way that you consume a drug can impact on its effect that it might have on you. So although the effects of cocaine and DMT are obviously very different, the issues around how you consume it are somewhat similar. Now, onto this episode. Today, Scrobius Pip and I have a discussion about prescription opioid medication. This is quite a short podcast and we don't discuss all of the short and long-term effects of opioids because there's a lot of overlap with the episode about heroin. So if you haven't listened to that episode, I'd recommend going and checking that one out as well. During the episode, I talk about various brand names that these prescription opioids can have. Um, Here are just a few of them for various different opioids. Things like Oxycontin, Percocet, Palladone, Vicodin, Percodan... Tylox, Demerol, Tramadol, these are the names that you might be familiar with that are the brand names of the particular opioids that we'll be discussing. And one final thing before the episode starts, at time I refer to these prescription opioids as painkillers. It's since been pointed out to me that actually the word painkiller isn't necessarily a particularly helpful one, as talking about killing pain might not be a particularly moderate use of language. Now, unfortunately, I didn't have time or I couldn't go back and re-record the episode with Pip, but I just wanted to mention this here, that I'm going to stop referring to them as painkillers from now on. And anyway, without any more waffling on from me, Scroobius Pip and I say why to prescription opioids. Dr. Susie Gage. Right, let's talk about opiate based painkillers. Yes. Now, I would recommend listeners to go and listen to the episode about heroin first because a lot of these drugs that we're going to talk about have kind of similar methods of action to dimorphine, which is Mm -hmm. heroin but they sort of have a different kind of profile because they tend to be used by different types of people and they tend to, because they're prescribed medication, they can quite often be, um, yeah, the profile of use is very different quite often. Of course. So when we talk about opiate-based painkillers, there's a number of different ones. So fentanyl is one, um, buprenorphine is one, oxycodone, oxycontin, hydrocodone, there's sort of a variety of them that are on the market and some people who are sort of using them non-medically are using previously prescribed ones. And there is also a sort of market for illicitly making them, in which case, obviously, once again, they can be kind of cut with other things as well. Mm-hmm. So if you get this kind of illicit stuff, it's you, you're less likely to know what's in it. Yeah. So there's a big dilemma around opiate painkillers, and that is that they're extremely good as painkillers. But they can also be potentially extremely addictive. Yeah. So, what do you think is the appeal of opiate-based painkillers?
1: Um, well, it, it's it's it seems to me to be uh, an uh, uh, a necessitated initial appeal and then an addiction. So, the the people I know who have had problems with these, or the big stories I've heard of this, have all been s- s- um, a professional sportsmen and, and women who've. Had situations where either they've had an injury and needed it to get over that, and then become addicted, or they've got addicted to stave off injury. They'll they'll again in in our our hugely monetized sports world now there would be pressure. I I, I had Rob Parker on the on the podcast, who's a former rugby player, and he spoke about again that that kind of pressure of well, I need to play on Saturday, so it is what it is i'll I'll take these it will get me through that i'll deal with the actual injury at a later date and so on and so forth and then when he wasn't even playing anymore the addiction was still there that that the fact he'd found something that can essentially numb everything numb his problems as such was 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 hugely addictive so yeah if it feels like it's one that isn't even necessary an initial oh i fancy trying that appeal more a you need it to start with, and then it can the 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 effects of it can be very appealing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think being prescribed it can also lead to this. Well, I'm, it's a medicine. I'm being prescribed it, therefore, yeah. like, I need it. It's good for me. It's safe, and all this kind of thing that can sort of tie into
1: that and and again on 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 the podcast of my distraction pieces podcast with rob parker he he spoke about exactly that of kind of initially needing it and then it being quite an easy one to to fake the symptoms that that required it to be prescribed almost endlessly Mm -hmm. he could quite easily go yeah no i'm i need more or again trade trade with people and so on and so forth
0: yeah And I think this podcast is probably... We're not going to go too much into the effects. I think we covered them quite well in the heroin episode, but just to sort of touch on it, it's a sort of the pain relief, kind of euphoria potentially feeling, relaxation. Um, It can also do things like slow your breathing and then some of the side effects we talked about were things like constipation nausea and vomiting dizziness and loss of appetite that kind of thing mm-hmm. i meant i listed sort of a number of different types of, of of opioids there and they similar to the benzodiazepine episode different ones have different kind of profiles right and um, so buprenorphine was one that was kind of developed to help people get off Heroin, but has also kind of become a drug of abuse as well and fentanyl is a particularly problematic one certainly in the states and in canada i think because it's 50 to 100 times more potent than morphine so um most of these are either synthetic drugs or semi-synthetic they're either completely sort of made in a lab or they're synthesized from a plant kind of thing so there's sort of there's yeah, they're developed from a pre-existing kind of, like from the poppy quite often. Yeah, sure. And oxycodone is one that I think has been associated quite a lot with problems in the in the States yeah. as well. And it's been interesting watching, trying to develop non-abuse versions of it. So oxycodone and oxycontin are kind of the same thing, but oxycontin has been developed so that it has a slower release. So if you take oxycodone, it takes about 30 to 60 minutes to have a kind of peak effect. Mm -hmm. But OxyContin um, takes about three hours. Right. So they can kind of be prescribed for different things. So if you've got sort of, you need an immediate painkiller or you need kind of long-lasting sort of numbing pain for kind of longer term, that they can be used for different things.
1: I mean, they have made the names confusingly similar.
0: Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yes i, I can't. They have it on... <laughs>
1: as oxy and oxy light or oxy oxy slow or, yeah. or genuinely it's like yeah that's easy to confuse a, a, a witch is which there
0: actually there are lots of brand names as well which i haven't got here but i will yeah. list them in either the intro or the outro so people if they've heard of the brands they can sort of realize which is witch, what yeah. we're talking about here quite a lot of these are, yeah scheduled drugs so they're tend to be prescribed to treat people with severe pain or manage pain after surgery so as you mm-hmm. we were talking about yeah. this can be a problem with sports people and one of the things i thought would be interesting to talk about is why it might be such a problem in the usa compared to the uk mm-hmm. because that, that certainly seems to be the case for me anyway like you mentioned the sort of the main people that you've heard who have these problems have been professional sports people. Yeah. And I don't really yeah. know any professional sports people, yeah. so I haven't really heard of it being a problem over here. But it's interesting to hear that. Whereas in the States, I think it does seem to be much more of a problem. Yeah. And it seems like there's the sort of reason for this is that... In the early 1990s in the US, there was kind of a national scandal of under treatment for chronic pain. Right. And it got a lot of press that there were a lot of people perhaps suffering unnecessarily with chronic pain when there were these amazing opioid painkillers available. And in the press at the time, the sort of potential harms of opioid based painkillers were kind of downplayed and said, well, they, these can be managed with supervision from your doctor and that kind of thing um so prescribing of these drugs in the early 2000s really skyrocketed but then alongside that people using them kind of off prescription also really went up um and one of the reports that i read said that in 2012 in the u.s opioid-based painkillers were the second most common drug of abuse after cannabis or sorry not abuse but people using for non-medical reasons yes it was the second most common one after cannabis whereas i don't think that's the pattern that you see in this country no and another paper said that in in 2014 in the usa there were over 10 million people using opioid-based painkillers for sort of non-medicinal reasons yeah so I, i mentioned it quite a lot on this podcast but i was reading david nutt's book again Mm -hmm. and um him talking about he talks about opioid-based painkillers and he believes that in the uk we under-treat chronic pain right so perhaps there's some sort of happy medium here of like finding a balance between not letting it sort of fall over into the way it has in the states with it being a drug of sort of abuse yeah but also sort of making it available to people who really need it need it yeah
1: and again, availability with the correct m- monitoring and help to come off of things is is a is a great thing. I said the the mm-hmm. risk, as we've we've said with many of these, is if there's not that knowledge and that that assistance on, on 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 dosage and on going on and coming off.
0: Yeah, yeah. And as we talked about, the withdrawal symptoms can be really unpleasant, sort of severe flu, anxiety, panic attacks, insomnia. Muscle weakness, fever, quite sort of unpleasant for three or four days of, of real kind of difficulty, and if you can get hold of the medication, sort of it could be really difficult to, to find the willpower yeah. to to come off.
1: As said, my friend Rob, who I keep mentioning on that on the podcast, he he was told off by his doctor because when he decided he was addicted, he threw them all away and just went cold turkey, which his doctor said that's not. The best option here, because you've been on them for so long, it's kind of and it, it worked out from f- the end and for him mentally and personally, it was the, the only way he felt he would deal with it. But yeah, he was surprised that when he went in, he was kind of he got a telling off because he was like, right, well,
0: <laughs> can you help me come off? Yeah, of that? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think this is once it's similar to benzodiazepines that yes, tapering your dose down is probably is almost, it's the best way to come off almost any medication. Yeah, but. If you don't have the help and support to do that, then it can be extremely difficult yeah. sort of to manage. And and we have a, a massively under-resourced NHS, yeah, in, certainly in course, this country. Hugely. And in the States, there's a different relationship between doctors and the pharmaceutical industry if you go to the states you can see um drugs being advertised on tv and people go to their doctors saying i want to be prescribed this particular drug which is yeah. not something that happens in this country no, no. so i think that could also be related to why people might be perhaps over medicinalized in the states and under medicinalized yeah. in yeah. this country potentially
1: as soon as marketing campaigns come into it it's a worrying a situation really isn't it it's It's like the one that you're most aware of is Mm. going to be the one that you think is the solution much
0: harder to keep to keep track of as well yeah yes cool and there we are thank you so much for downloading this podcast and listening to it and of course do join in the conversation on twitter or facebook This is currently the last podcast I've got recorded, but I'm working on researching some more episodes and hopefully we'll be able to record some more very soon. In the meantime, I'm going to try and get some special bonus episodes up in the next few weeks as well. But for now, thank you so much for all your support for the podcast. Do get in touch with comments, ideas for episodes, anything that you like, and keep watching this space for more news and more episodes. Thank you so much. Bye! You've been listening to Say Why to Drugs with me, Dr. Susie Gage. The music was by Jim Murray and the artwork was by At, My Name Is At. Say Why to Drugs would not have been possible without the generous support of I'm a Scientist, Get Me Out of Here, the Medical Research Council and Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces Network. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra.